ser benfiquista é uma crença. É uma religião muito grande. A visão de culto. A coragem, que é a liberdade, que é crer, que é vontade, que é o caráter das pessoas. Calma de quem é grande, maior que os maiores. É uma paixão pela explicação. Eu não consigo explicar o que é ser do Benfica. Eu sinto o que é ser do Benfica. Mas de facto uma paixão. E as paixões são assim, vivem-se assim, intensamente. Aqui não há nenhuma razão. É paixão, paixão, paixão. Ser Benfica. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking to the Doll Befica podcast. My name is Alfredo Fumasas. Episode number 364 is where we're at these days. And uh, what, uh, what strange days these are. Cristiano, how are your strange days going on, man? Ah, uh, man, they're, they're right now, pretty, pretty bad, man. The allergies are kicking my ass. Um, you know, but besides the boredom, uh, you know, everything else is good. Everything else is good. I wish I... Could get rid of the sniffles and, and the itchy uh, runny nose and the itchy eyes, but you know it is what it is. It's part of uh, spring here in North America, and we have to deal with it as best as possible. This has to be the worst for the allergies this uh, this year, though, because everybody probably thinks you got uh, coronavirus with your sneezing and your coughing. It's got to be terrible for you. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, when you start sniffling and coughing, do people run away from you? Well, a good thing is that I am a good citizen. I do follow the laws of social distancing and quarantining, so I don't really have many people around me to be complaining about that sort of thing. So, you know, because I am an upstanding citizen, I haven't had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent, man. And uh, you guys have already heard uh, Dave D'Oliveri is up in uh, Canada enjoying his, uh, his uh, holiday weekend, which happened this week, but he's doing a bridge into a longer week. What's happening, Dave? I know you're over in uh, in Mount is it Mountain Cottage, whatever. Where, uh, cottage country, cottage country. Yeah, for the uh, Victoria Day uh, long weekend here. Also social distancing, uh, family uh, cottage up here. So uh, wait, what holiday? Day. What holiday? Victoria the, Day. You know the Queen. You know the Queen Victoria. It's like, it's like Memorial Day, but uh, uh, I know Queen Elizabeth, right? Or Queen. Yeah. So her great grandmother, I believe. She's Canadian. She was British, but we still have ties to the monarchy over here. Oh, that's too. Oh, that's why that dude, Prince William, or his brother, whichever one, the redhead, the freckle, it, they they ran with his wife. He went to Canada. Is that and why? They, and they, yeah, and then they already Not went the back to, to the U.S. Oh, okay. Well, see, look at it. You learn stuff here on the Benfica podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just about Benfica. I just learned. So I had no idea that oh. that Canada had this tie back to Victoria. Victor, it, it's it, it's not David Beckham's wife by any chance, right? <laughs> Can't confirm or deny. She is British, and she might be a queen to some people, but it's not her, right? No. Okay. I, well, I'm, glad. I'm glad we had this conversation. We just it explains the hats with the Mountie. Wow, wow, it's all started to make a lot of sense now. I get it. Okay, both countries can't play soccer. So, yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right. <laughs> no, but you know what? You know what's strange, Cristiano? And, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting down on my, uh, my Canadian friends. The, the strange thing is that in England, in England, they use the imperial system, right? Um, feet, yards. And then in Canada, they use the metric system. Like Wait. everybody else in the world, except for you guys. <laughs> no, except the U.S. and England. Yeah. No, England uses meters and stone. No, you, England actually uses stones, which no, I don't no, even know. They, they, use yard, they use yards. They, Do they? 
They use feet. I have. That's too confused. I have no and, idea. And they drive. They, we drive on the right side of the road. They drive on the left side. So we don't. Uh, we didn't bring that over here on this side of the continent. Yeah, there's still a lot of uh, English culture, and yes, Canada still does recognize uh, the Queen as their sovereign leader. Correct. Wow. Look at this. Any law needs to be passed through the Queen, or the Queen needs to sign off on the law. Right. So Trudeau is the Prime Minister. But the Queen still rules uh, Canada. Trudeau is French, and they're British. So I, just, I mean, no, I'm joking. Just, let's <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, we have uh, we have a special guest here with us uh, tonight. He's also he also hails from from Canada. Sergio Anton, how are you? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on. <laughs> right. So just this is really this is really getting confusing. A Romanian in Canada under British leadership with the French president. Whew, this is this yes, that speaks Portuguese and uh, all types of crazy stuff. Yeah. So yes. I'll give you a little bit of background on on Sergio. Um, Sergio is a Canadian citizen. Obviously, he's of Romanian descent. Uh, but he's got some ties to Benfica. Uh, as a young player, Sergio uh, was in Portugal. Uh, he had a stint with uh, with the Benfica Juniors. He also played at Nacional. He also played at Braga. He was. He's going to let us know a little bit about all of that. But I just wanted to establish that connection so everybody could uh, could feel comfortable with it, if if you will. Right? Is that right? That's that's perfect. Yeah. Forgive me if I uh, if I uh, butcher your name. I know that we went through this before we hit record, but uh, I think it's basically the Sergio, 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 or Sergio. Yeah. It works. I like the same I way. like the Portuguese pronunciation. We'll stick <laughs> with that. Right. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Um, were you born in Canada? Were you born in Romania? Yeah, yeah. I was born in uh, Romania. Um, I moved to Canada when I was uh, three years old okay. and uh, basically I would spend my summers in Romania. So two months, three months out of the year I would spend in Romania and then uh, up until I was about 10, 11 and obviously the school year in, in Canada. Um, grew up playing soccer in Canada. Actually, I, I developed the love for the game playing with my cousins in Romania when I was like five, six. Uh, they were play He's he was older. He played for Stawa Bucharest, which is uh, you know a very huge club in the country. Obviously, you guys know the Champions yep. League winners um, in in the past, and so he played for them. He was three years older than me, so I saw him playing with his friends. I started to play a little bit. And so that's where I kind of got a taste for the game. Uh, but officially, I, I signed up playing for, for teams in, in Canada, in, in the Toronto area. Yeah. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to test if you're really Romanian. This is going to yeah. be a test for you early on in this podcast. Can you name the two Romanian players that have played for Benfica? Uh You know how you got me there, man. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Who are they? Nika Panduru. Yeah. And Laszlo Sepsi. Okay, okay. Sepsi, you, know I mean? you might remember Sepsi because Sepsi is a little, is a little younger than, than Panduru. Panduru goes back to the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, playing yeah. for 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, those are those are uh, good players, but I think uh, the golden players are, are from a different generation, from Haji's generation. Well, Panduru was also he was featured in the '94 World Cup squad with uh, yeah. Haji. W- w- that was at the height of Haji's career. Was that '94 World Cup? Uh, certainly a very entertaining Romanian team to to watch during that 94 World Cup. But tell me this, at what point uh, of your youth did you figure out or did you um, say to yourself, uh, soccer or football is something that I want to pursue uh, seriously? Very early on, I think when I was maybe from the beginning, when I first started to see so- uh, soccer games on, on TV and on YouTube and stuff, like um, uh, I fell in love with the big players and I wanted to be on the same level that they were on. Um, and already at the age of eight, nine, I was determined that's going to be my, my career. Um, and then going through school, my mom would always tell me, so, you know, when you head off to university at 18, I would say, what, what university? What are, you, what are you talking about? That's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going I'm gonna play soccer. Uh, so, yeah, I knew all, all along that that's what I wanted to do. Obviously, things didn't pan out. A very short career, but uh, the love for the game always stuck with me. And now let me yes. let me just throw this in here, man. If you're yes. a young buck, listen to the Bifiga podcast, and you've never heard of Georgiaji, do yourself a favor. Google him. Fantastic player. Stuart Bucharest, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Galatasaray legend. Fant- I mean, that sweet left foot. There was nothing that guy can't do. He was a terrific, terrific player. Now, moving on, getting back to our main guest today, Sergio Anton. Serge, obviously, as you just said, started playing soccer at a very young age. How did the opportunity present itself to you know, go ahead and make your mark in Portugal and start playing, uh, you know, trying out, doing what you have to do, getting you to Portugal. How'd that come about? Yeah, so I was, uh, I grew up playing for local clubs in the GTA, and GTA is what we call the greater Toronto area. I uh, thought Grand Theft Auto, PlayStation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, <laughs> that one's probably better. But, uh, yeah, we, I grew up playing there, and then um, I got selected for the Toronto FC Academy at the age of 14. I played there until I was 16. At 16, I got cut from the academy. Um, I was left, really, with no teams. At the time, there were no other professional teams uh, in the area. So it was just Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. So all of those are tremendous uh, distances away. Um, and then my old coach from my club team um, knew an agent uh, slash coach that was uh, very, very well acquainted with uh, Portuguese football. So he was uh, taking a lot of players over uh, every summer to, to play games and, and tournaments and, and try out with teams. So that's what I did. Initially, I went to um, uh, just to play with, uh, games against exhibition games against Vitoria Stubol, against uh, Benfica's academies, uh, doing camps with the Benfica's academies, which I paid for. You know, all of this stuff I was paying initially um, just to get the, the opportunity um, because back in Canada, there was nothing left. If you're not on the Toronto FC Academy, then 
you have no professional environment. So I had to go there and um, after a year, I went back again to Portugal, this time on a, a more official trial uh, with Benfica. And uh, they said, look, you have talent. Um, you need to develop though. You need, you need to get your um, experience in Europe more. So then I went to Braga. Uh, they, they liked me and three other guys a lot. And so we stayed there for six months. Um, the situation was I was 16, 17, and uh, we were unable to sign due to some FIFA regulations yeah. at the time. Uh, we were unaware of typical Canadian style. We don't know anything about the rest of the world in terms of soccer, you know. Uh, so anyways, it, you know, there for two, three months, then I realized I can't sign. So then, you know, spend like four or five months in Braga without playing. And I was really pissed off about that. But I had the opportunity to go back to uh, Benfica in the following season. So that's... That, the, what year was that, Sergio? Yeah, so that was uh, 2014. So I arrived in uh, Portugal in 2013. And I actually left high school. I, I didn't finish high school initially. I left in grade 11 and then I stayed in Portugal. And so that was a double like slap across the face to not be able to play, but also to leave high school and not get my education. Yeah. So it was a really tough time for me. I had a girlfriend back home, um, you know, missing family, new language, new culture. A lot of factors that at 16 years old, I don't think uh, I was prepared for, for that reality. Yeah. Who were you staying with? I mean, at 16-year-old, were you with the, the other two kids that you went? Was, were you staying with a family? How did that Man, go? Man, we were by ourselves. 16-year-olds we living in an apartment. Yeah, yeah, we were by ourselves, believe it or not. The guy took us. Uh, and obviously, I don't think this is good. Uh, looking back in hindsight, I don't think that's right. And if I'm to have a kid and, and somebody proposes that to me, I will never do that. But uh, that was the situation. The guy was very sneaky. He didn't present things the right way um, ahead of time. Like, look, this is where you're going to be staying. These are the uh, accommodations. This is the situation. So I just kind of went along with uh, the situation um, and, and was chasing the dream. And yeah, so we were, Living me and three other guys in an apartment, uh, we had to learn how to cook for ourselves, <laughs> clean uh, all this stuff. But luckily, two of them were were Portuguese, uh, so they they got us around with taxis, with restaurants, with everything. You know, they spoke spoke Portuguese until I learned later. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Sergio, you uh, said you uh, came up through the uh, TFC uh, Academy now. At that time, TFC is a, a young club, uh, less mm -hmm. than five years. They don't have much of a, an infrastructure in place, mm -hmm. especially uh, in terms of their academy. Describe the differences between coming from uh, Toronto's academy and then jumping over to Europe and uh, specifically um, Benfica Seychelles campus. So what were the differences that, that you noticed right away? Yeah, actually, uh, when I started in Toronto FC Academy, we were the first uh, official age group for my um, first team for my age group. 
So at the under 14, 15 level, we were the first team to probably to have it somewhere in their documents. But um, so in, in Toronto FC, when I first started, they didn't have a facility. We were renting out uh, an old stadium, probably 50-year-old stadium, training there, uh, which was fine. It was better than what I was used to. I was used to training in gyms in the winter. So I went from training in gyms and playing futsal and playing uh, with three different teams just to get, get playing experience to playing with one team um, and, and uh, training on turf five days a week. Uh, obviously, in, in, in Canada, it's a commuting culture. So um, I would leave high school early uh, around, like school was finished around three. I would leave around 1.45, 2 to get to training for four because Toronto traffic's pretty, pretty crazy sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I would do that, you know, five days a week. And then on the sixth day we would, we would play. Um, then in Portugal, the difference was, you know, there was a kit man. We had a kit man there too, but it wasn't, uh, it was more informal. Um, we had a kit ready for us on our, on our benches. Um, we had, smoothies we had psychologists we had massage therapists uh training was at the same time every day it was in the morning which was very professional because um in canada we would train in the afternoon because school is the priority but in portugal the priority was look we're investing in these players we need to make them footballers so training was in the morning um, yeah, it's more on the level of uh, establishment and history. You can tell that they're more established. There's a routine. They have a proven method, whereas in Toronto and Canada, it's still uh, the beginning phases, even if we talk about Toronto FC having won uh, uh, three titles already, or two, two or three. Uh, I think three titles already. Um they're still in the beginning phases in terms of development in the, the academy. Yeah. And just to give our, our listeners some, some context as to the time period where you were at Benfica, who, who were some of the names of the guys that you were, that you were training with at Benfica? Yeah. Um, no, some big, big names. My, my first day I uh, trained with uh, Renato Sanchez with, Juan Carvalho, Diogo Gonçalves, Guga, uh, who else is playing still? Juan Lucas was uh, is a player for um, for the team in Asoj, uh, but he's he was he was actually not not the starting left back at the time. Anyways, Yuri. Ribeiro. Yeah, those those are. Yeah, no, players. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm I just pulled that up, and, and this is quite. Uh, a generation here. You're talking about Jota, Zé Gomes, uh, Hildebert, uh, Romário Balde, Diogo Gonçalves. Yeah. That you forgot mentioned. about those guys. Yeah, Alpha, Alpha Smith was uh, was there. Kevin Oliveira. So uh, Alpha, Alpha actually, uh, we started on the same day. We stayed. We, like, oh, really? We came in on the same day. Yeah. So we uh, we hit it off straight away because he was. I had no before I was in Braga and I had some Canadian friends. So you know, at training, I would I would be with them, whatever. But at uh, Benfica, I had nobody else there. So 
me and him really hit it off initially. And uh, so, yeah, he, he's a good friend. He's a good guy. Because you had that in common. You guys started on a first day, but um, yeah. you got the first day together. Ruben Diaz, Ferro, uh, Pedro yeah. Moral. I mean, that this is quite uh, – uh, you got Pepe Rodriguez also. Not crazy, crazy generation. I tell you, yeah. like, there was no doubt in my mind. What I, I uh, interviewed uh, one of the scouts that, that helped me get there the other week, Miguel Suarez, and he was telling me at the time, listen, man, you're headed into the best generation we've had in ever. Uh, I was like, yeah, whatever, man. We'll see about that. Um, we, you know, but now looking back in hindsight – like holy crap like i'm i'm humbled yeah. to have been among these players let alone to you know to to have played and, and scored goals with them and stuff so it was awesome did you ever feel at any time as an outsider that these guys ever treat you as you know the the canadian he's not cuz yeah. i mean we hear stories from different players and you know we talk to to a lot of different guys and everybody's got a different story did you ever feel like you got to be got treated differently than everybody else a hundred percent. I think in uh, in Portugal, especially, they have a huge thing. Like you know, it's a very like joking culture. Like it's like very like poking fun at you and stuff. And that's kind of where you prove your your worth. Is like, can you handle the jokes? Can you? Are you one of the guys or no? Are you gonna go cry or what are you gonna do? You know. So that was kind of. So yeah, they would they would say stuff like you know, no jokes. You know, beep. Yeah, so I don't know if you can say that online. You, you could, yeah, you could were, say it. You could say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No job, Benjamin Karaali, with stuff like that. Like, you know. Um, but um, one thing that really helped me was that I, I learned the language. And I, I did it more so out of necessity because I couldn't stand being the only person that didn't understand what was going on. Uh, the coach was speaking, the players were speaking, they were laughing. I'm like, what are they laughing at me? Or what's going on here? Man? <laughs> so it's an awkward place to be when everyone's laughing and you have no idea what's going on. So I had to learn. So I learned the language really quickly because Romanian is a Latin language and Portuguese obviously is too. So I learned within uh, a month, two months, well enough to start you know, communicating with my teammates. And then after, it, it, you know, things started to flow better. You and I spoke the other day, and you mentioned guys like, you know, uh, Getz, right? That he was yeah. a year ahead of you, but you said that the kid was a freak of nature. Were you able to tell from that early on how dominant of a player, how good of a player, guys like Renato Sanchez and all these other guys that have made it to this level and stood out? Were, were those guys that far ahead of everybody else, even back then at that early age? Um, so when I started the preseason with Benfica, Gonzalo Gedge and Romario Balde were with the B team already. So they, they were 96s. Uh, so they were second year juniors by age, but they were playing with the B team. They started with the B team from the start. So, um, for them, I thought they were miles ahead of anything I've ever seen, um, uh, for their age group in my experiences uh, in Canada and stuff. But um, in, with Renato Sanchez, I can speak more accurately about Renato, about Guga, about Ferro, about Ruben Diaz, uh, Yuri Ribeiro and all those players because I, I, I trained with them really extensively for about a year. Um, 
Renato, I could tell, was very physically evolved and very mature for his age. And uh, he, knew his, he knew his worth, you know. He knew his worth and he was very confident. Um, can I say that I, I would think that he would win a Euro two years later at, when, and be sold for $80 million? Yeah. No. I, at the time, I, I heard people talking about him. So I Googled his name and I saw these videos online, like, you know, fan videos of him. What the heck is this, man? Like, I just trained with this guy. To me, he's a good player. But João Carvalho and Diogo Gonçalves, those two players, when I first saw them, I thought I was technical. These guys make me look like, like a goalkeeper compared to them. Like, their, their technique is amazing. So... For me, those two players really, really stood out to me. And, and I thought that they were going to uh, have a better chance at, at becoming really renowned players than Renato Sanchez. But uh, things are – people evolve differently and people take their yeah. opportunities differently. Yeah, I think that the Renato Sanchez also was, was a lot about timing, right? Because at that point, Benfica was struggling for an eight. They were actually on the market uh, for an eight uh, when they decided to give Renato Sanchez a, a chance. Uh, and like you said, um, he was a guy that was very confident. He knew his worth. And I think that when you're that young and you're put in a position where there's a lot of pressure for you to perform and you could carry that confidence about yourself into it, you're only going to feel at home and you're going to thrive with that pressure. And I think that that's what happened with Renato Sanchez. Obviously, there's a lot of hard work. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of good performances that he put in, both for Benfica and then at the national team level. Uh, but it was always a kid that was physically ahead of, of his other, of the kids of his age uh, and also very confident. Uh, and sometimes you don't really see that confidence Uh, stick out when kids are taken from uh, an environment where they have the same age level to now, okay, now I'm playing at Stade Luz. I'm playing with, uh, I'm playing with Luizão. I'm playing with Jonas. I'm playing with this guy. I'm playing with that guys that you probably only know from playing in the PlayStation. So it's, it's a different level and the mentality on top of it. And I think that Renato was able to be successful because of that. But uh, for example, uh, um, João Carvalho, I know that João Carvalho is filthy. Cristiano hasn't seen enough of him, but I know that João Carvalho is filthy. Um, Jota, too, you, you had a chance to play with, with Jota. Uh, and yeah. also, uh, I mean, tell me, tell me about this. We, we've, we've seen videos of, um, of the locker room and, and Ruben Dias um, giving a speech to the, to the junior team. Did, were you able to witness that? Did you, did you notice that, that, that born leader a trait with Ruben Dias? Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. I could tell you that uh, for, without a doubt. I, he was very, um, very strong mentally, very mature, very professional. Um, we would hit the gym together uh, a lot, and he would push me to my limits, uh, which I loved. He, was, um, he took care of his nutrition you know, is top professional. And so he demanded the same from everyone around him. And so ultimately that's what you want in a leader and um, credit to the, the, the coach at the time, Jean, uh, Jean Trallian, who 
really promoted that in him and 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 gave him the opportunity to lead uh the team and 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 be a leader in the juniors to help him gain that you know that feeling yeah you you spoke about the Benfica's infrastructure over at the Seychelles uh but yeah. the, also i mean the the technical teams that that accompany each one of these age levels uh, is also extensive. How, in terms of coaching, and obviously you're, you're coming from Canada, you're coming from a TFC academy that was just getting started, uh, and you also got some local teams, but now you got this this huge step into Seychelles where everything is very structured, where everything is very professional. And in terms of coaching, what were some of the things that stuck out for you? Uh, in terms of coaching, coaching was much more... Um, I find in, in Benfica especially, it was much more personality-driven. Like, uh, how do I explain it? The coaches form relationships with their players, you know, and you could tell that there's a bond. The, the, play, the coach wants you to succeed. It's, he's, he's putting the arm around the shoulder, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so that, for me, that's really important because you're dealing with, Players like, for example, Berto, who is very troubled, you know, very difficult personality. Uh, if you're dealing with players like that, you need to make them uh, feel like you're on their side and you understand them and stuff. So the coaches there were excellent in terms of that uh, man management, player relationships. And then, of course, the, the, the football side of it, they're the they're best. Uh, the best of the best but I think you can't have one one without the other you need both and that's where uh, probably North America can come a long way is is building that culture alongside the the football knowledge as well yeah it, it's funny that you that you mentioned uh, Bertu because uh, what I what I know and, and this is something that uh, somebody that was within the Benfica structure at uh, an early age while these players were, were still younger. But he said that Bertu had the personality that if it was ever a fight, he was the first guy into the fight. He was the one starting. And what do you mean if there was ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was him. Right, but I mean, you're looking at this this generation, this chock full of of talent. Um, you, you said you trained about 11 months with uh, with Benfica. Um, talk to us about that that later stage, and and at what point did, did they tell you, um, hey, um, just so you know, we're, we're not going to be able to count on you. You're going to find somewhere else to go. How did that whole process uh, uh, take place? So uh, basically similar situation to the Braga situation. I was turning 18 in February. So I arrived in uh, July. So I would be spending what is it, June? Well, six months, six, seven months without playing again. Because so, of your age cut off. Yeah, yeah, age cut off. Uh, there were some players that were the same age as me that were able to play that were out of the country, but they came from different uh, situations. Anyways, that's a different story. But um, around January, they sent me on loan to Casapia, actually. Uh, and I began to train uh, there and, and, and play there. Juniors um, or senior team? Juniors, juniors. Uh, along with Fehu, actually. 
he okay. was there as well. So uh, if one thing maybe a lot of people don't know, he wasn't uh, number one center back at the time. He was uh, sent on loan to the same place that I was sent. And uh, along with Pedro Amaral, uh, he, he was there as well. Um, and a, a bunch of other players. Uh, who was the other one? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a lot of other players. That was uh, one of their affiliate teams that yeah. they were sending players to. So I went there and um, gained a little bit of experience. But I played some tournaments with them. Uh, one in in uh, Saint Petersburg in Zenit. Okay. And um, really, I think as a player, you're realistic with yourself. You understand your positioning with within a team. As soon as a couple of weeks pass, a month passes, you understand. Okay, this is the the hierarchy. Pecking. This yeah. is the hierarchy. This is the pecking yeah. order. This is where I fall. And it, it's frustrating, you know, because you wanna you wanna play, and that's uh, probably one of the biggest. It's a bittersweet thing because I was in a fantastic club, a club that I hold dear to my heart, that I have a lot of respect for. But I was in a place that I was not prepared to be, and that I shouldn't have been in that period of time in my development. In that period of time, I needed games. I needed to be uh, in the starting eleven playing at least 60, 70 minutes. Oh, you needed reps. I needed reps. I needed, especially coming from uh, where I came from, yeah. where it's already a disadvantaged environment. Yeah. Uh, you, you, need, you need game time. And that's, that's what I, w- I wanted to ask you also because – or not ask you, but, but state and you could agree with me or disagree. But these mm. players uh, that are at Benfica that have gone through the different levels, the different U uh, categories, right – uh, when they reach this level, they definitely have an advantage over players that are just stepping into the team. Because a player stepping into the team, you 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 either have to be extraordinary, super skilled as a player, or otherwise, these guys that have been playing together and have established themselves and that have, have gotten a name within the Benfica youth structure, it's going to be very, very hard to knock some of these guys off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's there's a couple parts to it. Uh, there's the development part where a lot of these players have been together since they were 12, 13 years old. So they've spent about, when I walked in, they were already together for five, six years prior. So they've already formed relationships. They've already gotten the Benfica methodology ingrained in them very well. They know how to play in that system. They know the culture. They know everything. Nothing's foreign to them. But then also there's the financial aspect of it, which I think tends not to be highlighted, and it's a huge part. Each of these players are an investment. And if um, these players sign a professional contract outside of the team, the, the team has to pay formation fees. And it's not cheap. It can be... 20,000 euros a year depends depends on the the details but yeah so you can imagine that for each of these players you're talking 80 100 150 200,000 dollars per player or euros per player uh and the guy walks in from the outside who has no investment the yeah. club hasn't invested in him the club has much more of a stake in promoting this guy 
who, man, I've put in $200,000 into him. I better time, get something time. out. Time, money, uh, relations, word, everything. Then this guy, you know, coming from God knows where, yeah, whatever, let him train over there, you know. Yeah, it's it's much it's definitely much harder. I do understand that. Uh, before we move on to to your to the next stage of of your uh, career, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Guga. Guga uh, is obviously some somebody that was um, very highly touted in terms of uh, the quality and skill. He's had some issues with injuries that have kind of uh, stunted his his evolution, if you will. He's currently at Famalicão. Uh, it seems that uh, the, some of these injuries are behind him. But your opinion of Guga as you trained with him for close to a year? I think he's a phenomenal person, first of all. He was always a good friend to me. Uh, there is moments where people were kind of, you know, not so good. He was always a top person, top professional. Uh, game side of it, I think he's very, very technically sound. His game is very simple. Uh, it's it's like, you know, two touches, three touches max. And he's a good distributor of the ball. Um, uh, unfortunately, his size doesn't help him. And in the professional game, I think it's very, very hard. You have to be a Chavi. You have to be an Iniesta to be of that stature. He's very short, very small to be successful. But he knows the game really well very technical like i said and um distributes the ball well i think he just needs more more time yeah. family cow is a great fit for him it's first division he's playing so um, if it wasn't for the injuries probably he would be further along in his career but that's the life of a footballer and i think he'll succeed he's a he's a he's a warrior do you still keep in touch with some of these guys that you played with in the past Yeah, yeah, definitely I do. I, uh, I, I keep in touch with Buta. I keep in touch with um, Oliver Sharkic uh, from the B team. Uh, Andre uh, Ferreira, he was a really good friend of mine. Uh, Jesse uh, Sekedika, he plays for Galatasaray. He was Nigerian. Uh, Nigerian. He was in the juniors uh, for my period of time as well. Isaac Uh, Fernand, he was in the juniors as well. Yeah, I keep in touch with, with quite a few of them. Uh, some of them went on to play for really, really great teams. Ruben Diaz as well, I've talked to him before. Um, but, you know, again, you can't expect uh, to be friends with everyone from the team, but there are definitely some people that, that we've kept relations So, so wrapping up your time at uh, Seychelles, who would you say is the most talented player that uh, you played or, or trained alongside uh, during your time there? Uh, Juan Carvalho, for sure, 100%. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. He's like, he's like a little, he's like a little Neymar. I'm telling you, he's like Neymar. He's, the only thing I would say, he's very timid. His person. If you could take Renato's um, personality and put it in Juan Carvalho, you would have your next Benfica star, 100%. Right. So time is over at uh, Benfica. Where's your next uh, next opportunity come and how does that come about? Uh, yeah, so I actually was 
had the opportunity to go back to Benfica after that for a preseason. And obviously, like I said, I hadn't played for a year and a half. I needed games. And so I knew I could go back to Benfica. I could probably be part of the squad again, you know, get a pat on the back, nice resume, another year at Benfica, whatever. But that wasn't good for my development. So I needed teams. So I ended up um, trying my luck in uh, Belgium at a team uh, where my cousin was at, uh, Masmekelen, it was called. And uh, I, I was 18 at the time. I, I tried out as a striker. I was a winger and attacking midfielder. Uh, they didn't sign me. Then I had a, a, a trial at Madeira. And uh, that's... That's where, where my next move was at Nacional. At Nacional, um, and and that was I was really excited about that because it, I felt like it was a good fit. I saw an end goal, like you know, the first team wasn't Benfica's first team. It was uh, something I could see myself attaining, and the the juniors were of a much lower level than Benfica's. So I I had a you know I was in the starting eleven almost straight away so it was a really good fit for me so that was my my next move yeah how long were you uh in uh Amadeira for uh i was there for one season so arrived yeah. in uh, july and ended in in may and you, you featured in quite a quite a few games yeah pretty much the whole season i was i was in the starting 11 and uh i played you know game in game out which was fantastic for me I, i loved my time there uh as a player yeah let me uh that there's if you guys want to check that out uh, and we'll, we'll post uh we'll, we'll mention sergio's name but there's a, actually a video of some of your performances over at nacional so we'll, we'll post that for people to go check out but let me ask you this on a serious note uh is the fog at nacional as bad as we see on tv Oh my God! It's yes, yeah, it is. It's even worse because it's in real life. <laughs> you know, you're there. You feel the fog. Is it? It's it's hard to see beyond the midfield or what? Yeah, no. There was a there, there was a lot of games that were canceled while I was there. Uh, yeah, it is. How did how did you enjoy your 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 time in in Madeira uh, in the Madeira island? Um. I liked it for the first so you know what overall if I'm going to speak on an overall standpoint it's it was good um the when I first got there I loved it it was really hot the weather was beautiful um soccer wise it was it was a good fit um then it started to get a little bit redundant around the two month mark Uh, because I was on an island, you know, yeah. so I thought I never understood what it is to be on an island because I never lived on one or or really uh, stayed on one for more than a week. Man, when I I've explored every inch of that island uh, multiple times, and so you know, once you do that once, twice, you're like, holy crap, man! I can't wait to be back in a continent where I can just I can just go somewhere, run somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my experience there in terms of you get that little bit island fever. Um, but I, I love the, the people. The people are very warm people, kind-hearted. They always uh, supported me. I felt like I was not an outsider. You know, I obviously, I spoke Portuguese very, very well at the time. Uh, 
but regardless, they, they treated me like one of their own. Um, they fed me, they, you know, they paid me, they flew me, everything you want. So for me, coming from paying to play in Canada to that, phenomenal that they were able to have that confidence in me. Now, Serge, your time over there was short-lived. As you just mentioned, it was a season. Yeah. What do you think went wrong with your career in Portugal? If there's something you could have changed, what would you have done? Uh, was it maybe, you know, you didn't have the right people in your corner advising you? I mean, take us through. What, what, what was the final decision to then, I guess, get back to Canada before? Yeah, so this was the, the situation uh, with, with my career. I think I was uh, – I come from a family – none of my family, except for my uncle, played the sport. My dad was a drummer in, um, in Romania for a, a famous band called Parlament. Uh, if you Google them, you'll see all Parliament of the songs. Parlament Funkadelic? No, just Parlament. <laughs> and uh, you'll see all of their songs on, online. They were big, you know. And so he was a drummer. My mom uh, ran a, a business a store in, in Romania. And then they moved to Canada and, and they got, you know, real jobs, Canadian, North American style, nine to five. Um, so they, I don't come from a footballing background. I can't say my dad, you know, uh, did either. And so I think growing up, I was misguided a lot in terms of mentality. What uh, I, I always tell my players this because they see me uh, playing sometimes in local leagues and they ask me, why, did, why don't I still play? And I tell them, look, my skill is 10% of it. Why is João Carvalho not uh, a Benfica star? It's a mentality thing. Why is Renato Sanchez, why did he become a Benfica star? And for me, it's, it's mentality and preparation uh, off the field that's more important. And I was, not, I was not professional off the field. You know, there was, uh, like I mentioned, when I moved to Braga, the first uh, five months of my port you know, Portuguese experience. I had a girlfriend. I would be up. There's the time difference. It was five, six hours. And I would be up all night uh, FaceTime, you know, and uh, from, you know, 11 p.m. until 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Crazy stuff, you know, and then the next day I would go train. So stupid things, you know, eating uh, bad food, um, you know, maybe enjoying the the – Lisboa life a little bit too much, uh, enjoying the Madeira life too much, things like that. They really impact in, in minor ways, maybe five, 10%. But mm -hmm. if you do that consistently, you're not gonna, you need to be on to, it's such a competitive game that you need to be 100%, 100% of the time. You can't be 90% you know, here and there, 100% there. No, it needs to be all the time. So that's one thing that I lacked. And uh, obviously, it, it led me down the wrong path. And um, so after Madeira, basically, I, I had the opportunities to go back to Portugal again to go to uh, the, the third division. And a lot of players, that wasn't uncommon. Even some of the Benfica junior players would start in the third division just like Alpha, for example. Um, and it wasn't bad, but uh, I don't know. I had a sour taste in my mouth and, and I didn't want to go back. I wanted something else. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I, I returned to Canada for off season. Yeah. No, it's certainly understandable. And, and you, you bring up a great point, right? Without uh, prior experience in terms of um, your family structure, right? So it's a lot easier uh, if your father played the sport uh, and he could give you uh, some advice in terms of mentality, in terms of, of what you need to do. You need to go to bed. Not, not even just the sport, a sport, you know? It right. could have been it's, volleyball exactly. or basketball or badminton. It was not it's a competitive. It was not a competitive nature. But there's yeah, there, there's yeah. no comp in terms of that team a team sport, uh, and in a competitive sport, there's nothing on there. Obviously, you yeah. can't fault your, your your parents. No, no, no. But it was that, something not, that nothing like that. Right, but it, it was, was something that background. But yeah. it's something that you you felt that you would have been better equipped to handle the situation that you were presented. Exactly. Yeah. No. Nothing. Uh, I love my parents. I'm I'm very grateful for them. Um, and for everything they've done for me, I have nothing to say against them. I'm saying that uh, my my outcome is a variety of factors. One of them being maybe if I had a little bit better of a, a pers- you, not, you know, experience, understanding, people, of, the understanding of, 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 of the situation. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I would have got, and that could have been, hey, maybe a coach. No coach really, um, you know, was that guy for me to be that role model and teach me those things. Hey, that's what it is, though. Yeah, because yeah, I, uh, go ahead, Christian. I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up the, 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 you know, the mental part of things and the commitment part of things. How big of 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 a part of actually getting through the that road to success and becoming a professional how big a part that plays in, in, in you know in your development and bro it, it, if i had a dime for every time somebody told me right that soccer is 90 mental and like you know i'd be a rich man but at the time serge i didn't i didn't i looked at them like they had three heads like what the hell are you talking about yeah. and now you're you have an opportunity you're coaching kids in canada you're running your training program you know, I'm pretty sure you instill a lot of these lessons, the struggles that you went through. You try to instill this in these young men nowadays, right? Yeah, absolutely. I and that's something that you say. You say there. I think it's funny because I'm sure that somebody said those exact words to me as well, just like they <laughs> said it to you, Cristiano. I'm sure somebody said it to me too. But you know, typical 16, 17, 18. You don't listen to anybody. I know what's best. I know you know, and you're going to do whatever you want. So I try my best to pass on my experiences and my uh, knowledge, uh, you know, to the kids, but ultimately I'm not going to, what's, I'm not going to be the one that makes or breaks the kid. It's a variety of factors. And ultimately like, you know, office of middle, he didn't have probably uh, a soccer dad or a soccer mom, but he made it. And that's pure hunger and, and dedication. He's the definition of hunger. You know? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny. I'm sorry, Alfred. It's funny you mentioned that, uh, uh, Sergio, because that is a huge topic of conversation here in the United States, right? Which mm-hmm. is, you talk about a guy like Alpha Smith who comes from very, very different backgrounds than us here in North America, right? And like you mm-hmm. said, he might have not had the same people mentoring him. He might not have the parents being as influenced in the game, you know, in his game and his day-to-day, uh, you know, adventure as other kids do. But he had the one thing, which is hunger. And they talk about that here in the States, which yeah. is kid, why do kids in Argentina and Brazil, why do these kids who have a lot less than what we do, 
they develop. And, and a lot of it has to do with hunger because even you in Canada, you know, at the end of the day, you were going home to a two-parent household. Your parents had jobs. You're probably playing PlayStation. You're, you look, you're FaceTiming your girl, doing what you got to do. You know what we all do with yeah. our girls, right? <laughs> these guys, Alpha Smith, Africa, and Parser, these guys don't even have running water. So these guys is the one way out. How big of a role do you think that that plays in a lot of these athletes' uh, progress in their journey in order to make it to a professional level? Yeah, I think it's uh, you. You put that very well. It's the it's the deciding factor. Ultimately, uh, it's such a competitive game, and uh, that's the deciding factor: is how bad do yeah. you want it? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice facetiming your girl uh, for to be prepared to train the next day at a hundred percent? And people don't realize that. Okay, why, well, why would I sacrifice that for a training session? Okay, but you're you're not you're not seeing one training session plus one plus one plus one plus one and the habits form and you make um, and in, instead of taking leaps forward in your development and each day is an opportunity that's the mentality that you should have is each day is an opportunity for me to prove myself for me to learn for me to uh, progress further instead of viewing things that way. A lot of us view it as, ah, it's just another day. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going back to my mom. She's going to cook food for me. I'm going to go play PlayStation and Fortnite. I see it all the time, and these kids will never make it that way. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they, don't know, they don't know what's, what's out there. And as much as even, even uh, in the top academies, I don't want to bash, you know, MLS academies and stuff, but uh, the, a lot of the – players that are supposed to be the best in the country they're paying three four thousand dollars a year and they don't know what struggle is they don't know what it is struggle i have i have two kids that came from my soccer school that play play for the the toronto FC academy they pay thousands of dollars a year their parents work in mississauga which is so we're in waterloo an hour away from toronto um an hour and a half away from toronto their parents work about around toronto area so they drive in the morning to there they come back around 4 or 5 p.m um take their kids back to toronto to train in 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 uh with toronto fc and then drive them home at at the at night so you were talking about you know like 13 14 hour days that these parents are putting in for their for their kids to play on top of paying, where is the hunger for the kids supposed to come from? In Portugal and Europe and South America, yeah. these kids are all taking the bus. They're finding ways to play. Meanwhile, in North America, the kids are being facilitated and like little toddlers, you know, push down a factory ban until they reach 18 and now they're yeah. off to the races. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's definitely a different setting. But, the, you know, Cristiano and I have, have a couple examples where uh, the mentality wasn't there. But a lot of times it's the, the skill and the how evolved you are uh, in, in terms of skill as a player coming U11, U12, uh, U15, uh, that would only get you so far. Once you get to a point where everybody's skill is the same as you, that's when the mentality kicks in. And at that point, you already have to have the mentality set. For example, and, and this, this, this dude that I'm going to mention is, is one of Cristiano's uh, 
good friends, he had an opportunity to play for Vitória de Guimarães. Uh, so he went from the States to, to, to Portugal, but he ended up leaving because he missed his girlfriend. Oh, he did play. He actually did play. He was starting as center back at Vitória Guimarães with Fernando Meira, who later became Benfica captain, Portuguese national team, Galatasaray, Vitória Guimarães, the whole nine. They were both starting together at the center, at the center uh, defense. He missed his girlfriend, came back. And it's just, I mean, you have too many stories. I'm pretty sure Sergio's gone through this, uh, you know, where he sees, as he mentions, guys want to be on the farm. I mean, that is so true. Like you said, Serge, it's one more training. Who cares? My skill, my ability. I'm the man. I'll get through that. But as you said, today, tomorrow, and then it's three, four times a week. And all of us, before you know it, Sergio or Ruben Diaz, for example, let's bring it back to, the, to these guys that are now, those guys are taking it serious every day. And now you're falling further behind. You're never going to have that opportunity to catch up to them. Now, the other thing, and, Ser- and Sergio will speak to this, and, and I, wanted, I want your take on this, Sergio, because I, uh, to me, man, it took me years. It took me years to grasp this, which is technically, I feel that even here in, in, in North America, we have very, very technical and very, you know, naturally gifted players. Athletes. What? No, but I'm just talking about, forget that. I'm talking about even technical, technically with the ball with, at, at their feet. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think that we lack here in the States, and I know I hear things again, but I'm not involved in coaching. I can't stand it, to be brutally honest with you. But I, I, I heard that it's getting better. The one thing, Sergio that I, I, like I said, it took me a while to grasp and I hear this a lot from other guys involved and, and maybe it was the same case with you. Technically, you had it all there. The one thing that we really severely lack here is, I mean, the movement off the ball. That has got to be night and day for you, right? That's like looking at one of these algebra exams when you're in third grade and like, this is gibberish to me, right? That they had, to, it had to mess up your mind, right? When you first got there. Yeah, that's uh, your spot on there. And uh, for a long time, I thought that it was the technical component that we're missing because as the his- historical examples show with, with North American uh, soccer, it's always um, physical, like, you know, we're looking for athletes, tall, fast, strong. That's usually your criteria. <clears throat> but you, you, you do see technical players that are good on the ball. And ultimately, what, what fails them is the decision-making and their, their game understanding. Where do I need to move when I, when I don't have the ball? How do I need to support my teammates? You know, things of that nature. For me, I was really deeply in love with the game. So I watched a lot, a lot of soccer. Like, I would watch every day. I would watch every weekend. So I wasn't that far behind which is why I was able to at least get to some level but my my level was not to the same uh, one as as is in Europe um and it's because of the coaching a big part of it is is the coaching because obviously I said you know I've I've watched the game I knew going in how generally to move and stuff like that um but coaches form these players and now I've had the opportunity on the other side of the of things a first player now coach to now see how that can impact a player and um it it helps them hugely if the 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 coach is able to give them some guidance some doubts how to think about different situations in terms of problem solving in terms of understanding things so that when it comes to the game, they're now better equipped to handle those situations. And I think in North America, we just haven't 
we have good coaches, but they're scarce. And um, the pay-to-play model prioritizes uh, business over development. And so you're not, if that's your priority, business over development, why would you hire a really good coach? If you're already making millions of dollars, why do you care? You don't care. So, you know, ultimately that's what's lacking. Take away the pay to play model, put the right coaches in, educate coaches, create the culture and little by little, five, 10 years, things will start to head in the right direction. But there needs to be uh, hard systematic changes and the guys at the top, uh, it's the same in the US, it's the same in Canada. And I know Canada very well now. those guys will not let go, man. They're holding on to their bag mm-hmm. with, with both hands and it's not going anywhere. So. It's the biggest reason why, I, I, like I said before, right when I asked you the question, I, I, I don't care for coaching. I don't really care for youth soccer in the United States because, again, I have a huge problem with a coach touting you know, and bragging about winning a you know, U10 state championship rather than I developed this player that look at look at where my players are to me it should be about development I don't really care about how many trophies you're winning at 10 years old when you start to get 13 14 then less then I think we should start taking things a little bit more serious yeah. but until that age to me it should be look especially because we, we see a lot of cases where parents are even paying three four thousand dollars for these kids to play and the kid's not playing because the coach is more worried about winning some BS tournament rather than actually having the kid enjoy himself and develop and want to come back and play soccer. And I want to be upset sitting at home, not wanting to come back because, you know, what? I never play. I sit in the bench. I mean, I have a huge problem with that at that age level. As it gets older, then, then I'm all for, yo, listen, it's about time we start taking numbers. Here. We start keeping stats. Yeah, so that, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, that, that's a great segue for us to get into, uh, into uh, Sergio's uh, uh, training uh, academy right so you are the the founder of roca roca am i saying that right i'm, I'm pronouncing it roca 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 yeah, yeah. soccer training uh you are the founder and and obviously the the coach on there too tell us about uh, how this came about how do you how did you get the idea what are some of the philosophies uh that go into it as well as some of the processes that you that you follow uh for this uh, training academy yeah, so um, one of the really influential coaches that I had growing up were uh, a guy named Woody Bailey. And he's, he's a Jamaican guy that uh, has a, a soccer school. That, it's called the Woody Bailey Technical uh, Soccer School. And uh, he just teaches ball mastery, uh, technique, footwork, those things. And that was a really pivotal moment in my my youth development uh, as a player and so once I returned to Canada I began to coach with him again uh, while I was still playing for university I I forgot to mention when I returned from Canada I was still in off season whatever and I couldn't arrange a team and then I ended up going to university and playing there and so while I was uh, in university the first uh, two years I was also working with uh, Woody Bailey uh, in the Toronto area. And um, I started to develop a passion for the the training side of things and seeing young kids, you know, make progress um, through my my training sessions, you know, over time. Um, And I actually met, met one of my childhood 
kind of um, sweethearts, if you want to say. Like, you know, we 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 met when we were 13, and uh, she's you know also Romanian and stuff. So I always held her dear in my heart, and we so we got back together when I came back to Canada. Not you know because of her, but it just happened that way. And she was living in Waterloo, which was an hour away. And so in the second year of university, uh, my school had a strike and um, it was going on for six months. So in that period of time, I said, okay, let's, I'm going to transfer to uh, the school where you are uh, in Waterloo. So then I transferred there and I could no longer work with uh, Woody uh, in, in Mississauga as an employee. So I needed to find some some sort of uh, job and continue my 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 coaching, and so I just started doing uh, private sessions initially, one on ones. I got one client through um, a, a referral, so I got started off with one player, um, and uh, I trained him. He liked it. He brought two friends, trained them. They liked it. It kept growing, and um, little by little, my pool of one-on-one and small group training uh, players started to grow, and so I started a a soccer school. Um, That was around August of 2018 that I started the one-on-ones, and in about November, I already started the soccer school. Um, And then, you know, so since then, I started with about 10, 15 players in the soccer school and now you know I have like uh, 50 60 players across uh, U7 to U14 uh, which is very nice yeah what are, what are some of the philosophies that you uh, that you employ uh, while training these kids yeah so um, I didn't touch on that uh, thanks for mentioning it I uh, believed very firmly in, in in technical training and I know I said that uh, what lacks a lot is is the decision making but for me you can't even make decisions if you can't be good with the ball so you need to first uh master the ball and and have your technique ready uh just like Juan Carvalho just like Diogo Gonçalves those players are are brilliant on the ball and and they they're decisive in games and so that's my methodology is to um create the best equipped players technically in all aspects of the game. And that includes, you know, how to strike a ball, not just dribbling and controlling the ball, how to hit a long ball, how to bring it down, how to head the ball. Um, everything that relates to technique in the game. That's what I, I uh, specialize in. And I've started now to branch out in towards um, the cognitive and decision-making aspects of the game. Um, especially with my older players, uh, the 13, 14-year-olds. I've started to do a lot more work with them on that with, in terms of uh, scanning, body positioning, analyzing their games and stuff like that. So I started to um, do that as well. So some of, some of these kids actually play for uh, a club team, but they just come to you for extra training. Is that right? Yeah, so my, my uh, ROCA is strictly training. It's strictly training, and uh, there's no teams. Uh, players come to me to, to stay sharp. The young players come to learn the, the techniques, obviously, 
And it's a huge, huge gap in, in Canada, at least. I don't know about in the States. But in Canada, uh, the coaches from young team for most of the club teams around here are usually parents. And don't get me wrong, kind people, very selfless for giving up their time to coach their kids. But that's not going to produce a soccer player. That's going to just, you know, babysit, basically. And so what you get is a lot of these players have never learned how to do anything, really. They just went along playing the game, and you end up with these players at 13, 14 years old that don't know how to dribble, don't know how to pass properly, all these things uh, a lot of the time. So, you know, there was a need for what I was doing in the area that I, that I uh, relocated to. Um, and, um, um, yeah, so these players come to me for, for, for that to stay sharp, uh, but they go back to their teams and play games there. Yeah. And I know that I saw on your website, you also offer, uh, zoom sessions, one-on-one yeah. zoom sessions. That's, that's great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Had to, had to adapt during this period of time, both for, for the players and for myself, obviously the players, they weren't training at all. Um, in Canada right now in the area that we're in um, field usage looks to be banned until late July so far so we're not even allowed on the fields until then so we're all stuck in our homes we gotta we gotta keep uh, training and uh, keep somehow our form and obviously our our mental health too kids can't be you know sitting at home doing nothing so I'm excited to have uh, started that, and it's been going well so far. I have some kids out from Kansas City. I have a kid from UK. That's great. Uh, so that's it's that's a new experience as well. I'm starting to connect with people from different locations. Yeah, what where do you envision um, your soccer school being in two three years from now? So I I want to create the the best uh, technique program that there is uh, on the market uh, in terms of uh, all technical components of the games and put that in an application uh, platform and make an app out of it and um, continue to do my my soccer schools in person um, my dream was initially to have my own facility and eventually start an academy in in, in Canada um, without a pay-to-play model. So I, I take players for free and try to develop them as best as I can and, and sell them and, 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 you know, make them professional players. Uh, recently, I've uh, decided that next year I'll likely be moving along with, uh, with my partner to Europe, uh, likely to England. Uh, she's going to be doing her master's there and then I'm going to probably relocate my business there. So, you know, this uh, online um, training has, has kind of opened a, an avenue for me continuing to train the kids that I started with here in, in Canada, uh, but also opens up avenues for different routes, which may be the app, which may be continuing online zoom training sessions and then you know pursuing um bigger things in in europe and i think that's that's my my goal it's yet it's still to be redrawn uh what what it will look like in europe that was what it was if i was going to live in canada but i'll, I'll have to think about it for, yeah. for europe 
Yeah, but, but, but certainly a, a much bigger and more open market uh, in North America, right? Because um, I happen to referee on the weekends, and I do see a lot of guys, uh, a, lot of, a lot of British guys that are coaching these academies. And I know that a lot of these academies are, are, are ripe uh, for welcoming kids, for taking kids, uh, because kids just want to be better. Parents don't mind paying the money, even though I don't agree with that. Don't mind paying the money so their their kids are coached well, which would which will eventually get them maybe a scholarship, and that's how they get into school for free. Uh, anyway, that's and that's neither here nor there. Um, tell everyone where they can find you, uh, how they can contact you if they're interested in in, in some some training, and especially now that you're not allowed in the field. I think those those Zoom session one on one sessions are perfect. Yeah, so you can uh, you you can contact me and and uh, register for the online Zoom sessions on my website. It's uh, www.rocasoccertraining.ca, ca Canada, not dot com, um, and all the information's all there. Also um, on Instagram, I post daily um, drills for you guys to do at home for free, completely, no charge. Uh, challenges there I have a game IQ series which we analyze different player decisions and you guys interact with those so definitely that's uh, been an exciting addition recently and then I'll be starting uh, YouTube and and I've started my my podcast as well talking about uh, youth soccer development and uh, yeah so you guys can uh, connect with me and I'll, I'll, I'll try to help as many players as I can with their journey and share my experiences. That's great. That's great. Sergio, man, thank you very much for taking the time out and joining us here on the Bifika podcast. But before I'll let you go, I got a couple more questions, actually. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> well, I was finalizing my, my end of it, uh, which first one is you're still a young man. Do you ever get the itch to return back on the field? Cause I know I'm an old man. I got the itch on me all the time. It's, it's, it's really hard to get rid of it. And the second question is, uh, what advice would you give a kid, a 16-year-old kid, uh, just like yourself, uh, trying to make the move over to Europe, whether it's Portugal, Italy, Spain, whatever, wherever it may be, what advice would you give a kid like that? So in terms of the itch to play, it it's more than an itch. It's like a burning fever that constantly erupts every time that I go on the field. It might be COVID, I, bro. You should get tested. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you might be right, man. <laughs> no. But um, no, man, I've, I've thought about it several times uh, about returning to play. And I think uh, it's just, uh, you know, you make certain decisions in your life and uh, I guess it leads you down a certain path. And to, in order for soccer to be worth it, uh, you have to reach a very high level, and that's un- unrealistic at this point in my uh, in my career in my life. Um, in terms of, um, sorry, can you repeat the second question? What advice, advice would you give a kid that's that's making a journey over to Europe? Yeah, yeah. So for for young kids, I actually have a, an assistant trainer that helps me out, and he is sixteen, seventeen, and he has uh, aspirations to be professional. So I talk to him all the time. I train him for free. I train with him five times a week and I try to give him the best experience. I want him to succeed. I want him to not make the mistakes that I've made. Um, and what I tell him and what I would tell most 16, 17 year olds is 
to forget about forget about the the parties, forget about the proms, forget about the the girls, the clubs, the distractions, all and the good stuff. all the the the, <laughs> the really exciting stuff, and and remember who you were when you were 12 years old, 13 years old, and those feelings when you were playing and watching the game. And always remember the vision that you had when you were 12, 13. And don't forget that when you reach those ages because the temptations will come, whether you're uh, an antisocial person or a very social person, uh, the temptations will come and they'll come hating you from all sides. So you got to uh, resist them and hold on to your goal and be humble. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, if you, if you want to be a, a professional, you want to take it, uh, take this thing serious. There's a lot of sacrifices that need to be made and, and not just soccer players, but from other athletes, we hear that all the time. Uh, swimmers that are up at three o'clock in the morning, going training, giving up this, giving up uh, a sleepover, giving up, uh, hanging out with their friends. So it takes a lot of sacrifice, but certainly if that is your dream, it's all worth it when you make it. Um, mm -hmm. A little less uh, serious question for you. Favorite Portuguese dish? Ooh, favorite Portuguese dish. You know what? I really like bacalhau uh, abraj. Uh, I love that. that. Yeah, I love that, man. I ate that for the first time in Braga. Ooh, another one that I have yet to eat. Uh, I ate it in Lisbon, but it's not the same as in Braga. They make it different in the north. Um, and that's a Francesinha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Francesinha. I need to eat that again, man. <laughs> I, I'm going back to Portugal soon. See, that's another thing. We talk about professionalism. I'm telling you about Francesinha with, with passion. <laughs> um, one, one of the things that really uh, stuck with you from, from your time that you spent in Portugal uh, that you hold near and dear to your heart uh, one of the times that I hold near and dear to my heart in Portugal let's see um, you know what one of the times that I hold near and dear to my heart was when I was able to uh, score a goal for Benfica uh, against Zenit and the the recognition that I got from all my teammates and yeah. from the coaches uh, and a lot of the players that went on to play really high level it was amazing to celebrate for them to celebrate scoring my goal you know yeah. so it was awesome yeah that was that was a really beautiful moment for me that's great, man. Those are memories of a lifetime. And certainly seeing these guys as they progress in the world stage, uh, it's definitely a, a sense of pride uh, that you could say, hey, uh, I, I played with that guy or I know that guy personally or we, we worked together, we did push-ups together, we did sit-ups together. Uh, where it, there has to be a sense of pride for you, no? Absolutely. No, I, it's definitely a sense of pride. And uh, for me, I support all of those players uh, a thousand percent and uh, i have actually um a lot of their jerseys in my in my apartment and whenever i see them play i put the jersey on just to uh support them i send them pictures afterwards yeah. uh, oh another great moment that i didn't mention i have a shirt here 
signed by uh, Julio Cesar, and it's uh, signed to me for my birthday. I forgot to mention nice. that. That was that was a beautiful moment. He gave it to me. I remember I was uh, I was really fascinated by him, and I spoke to him, and he was in Toronto the year before he was in uh, Benfica. So I I kind of spoke to him about that, and we created a bond. And uh, yeah, he gave me his shirt. Uh, signed. Uh, Nico Gaetan gave me his uh, boots worn from a game. I have them still. Nice. So those are beautiful, beautiful memories that I, I won't ever sell those or do anything. That's that's going to be in my house. Forever. That's great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, obviously, you still follow Wifika, uh, right? Whenever, whenever yes. possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's uh, that. That's great, man. It's uh, it's a connection that you've uh, made for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. It's the first club that I felt uh, I never understood what feeling love for a club was yeah. uh, because there's not that culture in North America and I wasn't close enough to Romania to uh, feel that. But it's the first club that I fell in love with, uh, that I felt that, uh, that I can never betray that team. And I had the opportunity to go on trial at Sporting uh, before Madeira. I didn't mention that. I didn't go because I felt I would be betraying uh, Benfica. Nice. Even even if that would have been better, I didn't go. Uh, so it's it's a club I, I really have tons of respect for, and um, they have values that they instill in, in people. And that's the difference between Benfica and other clubs. That's great stuff, man. Uh, and certainly uh, a lot of us know that about the club, but having – uh, somebody that that's spent time on the inside uh, saying those words, especially someone who didn't grow up uh, watching the club, right? Uh, so you yeah. became aware of the club as, as you went to Portugal, but to be able to understand uh, their meaning and the values they're instilled in, in players uh, and uh, everyone that's attached to the club, it, it's great, especially coming from, from an outsider. Um, Really, man, thank you uh, very much for, for coming on. Um, I know that uh, we usually talk a lot about Befica. We did talk somewhat about Befica, but just I just want to give an update to everyone in terms of what's going on. Uh, the team returned to practice. They're finally war training uh, as, as a group this week uh, as they had phases that they were coming back. Uh, recently, there's been some talk about what stadiums are – are going to be ready to be able to welcome soccer back. Not all stadiums have the UEFA ratings that they need, uh, and certainly health conditions are a concern for the authority. So that's still a story that's developing. You heard us last week talk about maybe just a handful of stadiums that would uh, that would be welcoming uh, the championship back or the league back. Uh, but certainly there's, uh, there's some talk about uh, some other stadiums not being able to, to host these games. So it's still something that's... Uh, that's being uh, uh, that's in course. Obviously, we had uh, the Bundesliga start this this weekend, uh, and certainly a lot of clubs uh, throughout Europe and throughout the world have their eyes on the Bundesliga to see uh, if there's a lot of examples that they can follow or what they can do. Of course, depending on their success. Uh, so great. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot. I know Dave. You didn't speak a lot, man. You didn't. You had some questions for uh, Sergio, but. Um, you know, it was always uh, it was always good to to have somebody that spent some time on the inside that could uh, give us some 
some insight and, and, and share some of their personal, personal feelings, especially somebody that is not Portuguese, right? That is just absorbing all this, this whole thing, this whole club from an outsider's perspective, having no prior knowledge of what the, what the club was about. So that, that was, that was great, man. And I appreciate all the insight. Uh, thank you, Alfredo and Cristiano and David for, for having me on. You guys have a fantastic show and oh, thanks, uh, man. the passion I listen to it actually a lot, especially since I found out about it. I was very happy because it's in English as well. And uh, so a beautiful podcast. You guys, you can tell that your passion through every episode and, and you're doing a great uh, service to all the Benfica fans uh, throughout the world. Great, man. I appreciate that. So uh, Roca Soccer Training, R-O-C-A Soccer Training dot C-A. Don't forget the C-A because that's where, that's where he's, uh, Sergio is based out of uh, Canada and the C-A obviously is, is for Canada. Where can people find you on Instagram and Twitter yeah, so, and all those other platforms? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Instagram. My handle is Roca Technical Soccer Training, um, all one word. On YouTube, same thing, Roca Technical Soccer Training. Uh, my podcast, uh, which is Roca Youth Soccer Player Development, where we talk about, um, obviously, youth soccer player development with a variety of coaches. And I've had a, a lot of Benfica uh, Academy coaches come on. And so I'm looking forward to having more in the future. I have a couple more, uh, which I won't name yet, but uh, stay tuned for those. Yeah, man, definitely uh, share those uh, links with us, man. We'll be more than happy to uh, share them with uh, with our followers and our listeners, man. So, once again, thank you so much for for coming on, Dave. Um, always a pleasure. Cristiano had to step out for a second. I see that there's a green screen behind him. The baby. <laughs> yeah, I had to go get the baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. again, we will be back uh, next week, Sergio. Thank you very much for coming on, man. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, take care, everyone. Stay safe. Wash your hands.